Amen. Thank you, worship team, for that song. I hope, I hope you don't just you know, come in and open your mouth and sing and don't think about what you're singing. The words from that song are so powerful as we just think about the text that we're going to be in this morning. And if you'll join me in your Bibles in Romans chapter 6, and really the, that uh, chorus or that, that praise song there is just such a, a great thought as we carry through what we've been studying over the last several months in the book of Romans, and it's my great privilege this morning to be able to open God's Word with you. I have to kick Aaron out of town in order to be able to get the opportunity, because um, I know a lot of us like the opportunity to get up here, but, uh, but be praying for the Canada team this week. Uh, I talked to Aaron on Thursday, I guess, when they made it up there, and they had safe travels, but uh, they're very much going to be in the throes. They're doing a parenting conference. I don't know if we actually explained that to you guys, uh, but they're doing a parenting conference for, uh, for our church plant that we've been a part of. Uh, there in the Calgary area for some time, and so we have a good team of people that went up there to cook, uh, to to watch children, um, and and to provide like a VBS for them while uh, they're in Canada, as well as Aaron's going to be leading that parenting conference. So just a great opportunity that our church has to once again bless the church plant that really has been a blessing uh, to us. God is still continuing to move and do great and mighty things. I know Blake mentioned it last week. You know, I was in first service with you um, uh, last week, but second service last week, I mean, there I don't know if you saw the pictures on Facebook, but this whole front of the room was filled with people who were committing their hearts and lives to God. The book of Romans is so, so powerful, and God has been moving. We've seen Him moving in our church. We've seen Him moving overseas. We've been see, seeing Him move uh, down the, the street in Archer's Lodge as Shine Community continues to see people saved. I think Jason has had over eight people saved, and they've been averaging about 311 over three weeks. I mean, God is doing amazing and mighty things, and so I, I hope that your hearts are stirred and, and are excited about what God is doing. And as we open the book of Romans today, and as we look at chapter 6, we've been walking through, through the book of Romans, really. We started before Christmas, and then we took some breaks. But if you remember... Like the first couple chapters of Romans really kind of paints for us a bad picture. Because what are we? We're, we're sinners. We're depraved people. Like there's nothing that, that we can do to stop ourselves from sinning. In fact, we're going to see a little bit of that today that we're actually slaves to sin and, and, and we, are, uh, we sin because we are sinners. That's who we are and that's our character. But the wonderful thing, and, and it's what we just sang about a few minutes ago about the goodness of our God who loves us and who pursues us and who finds us where we are. He pulls us out of the pit of our sin. He pulls us out of that, that miry clay that we found ourselves in and he restores us based on no merit of our own but because of his great love that he has for us and he gives to us salvation. He's been talking about that relationship that we can have in Christ. He's been talking about faith. He's been talking about justification. Paul's going through all these major doctrines as he continues to teach us and teach the Romans as he writes this letter, this wonderful truth of the God in which we serve. But oftentimes what happens is when we start studying the Word of God, sometimes it raises for us questions. You know, well, Paul, what do you, what do you really mean? In fact, that's the question, and Aaron introduced it last week. We're, we're looking at the second kind of part of, of how um, uh, Paul addresses this, but the question is once grace reigns in our bodies, you know, once, once grace has been poured out onto, uh, onto us as believers, God's forgiven us, he's dispensed to us grace, like what next? How should we live? Do we continue to live under the dominion and mastery of sin? You know, now that God has poured out this grace on my life, like is, is there freedom from sin? Like should I continue in it? 
Um, do I have mastery over it? And, and really, um, the question that Paul addresses here in, in chapter 6 is whether grace sanctions sin or even encourages it. Remember last week in, in verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Like, so if God is glorified in forgiving sinners, so should we just like sin and do whatever we want to? And so God can be more glorified because of our sin. Now, Paul's answer last week, and if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, go and hear Aaron's message. But, but Paul's answer was absolutely not. And we're going to find another question asking in 15 today. And his, his, once again, his implied answer there is no. Uh, but Paul's been steering this careful course between the dangers of legalism and lasciviousness. In, in verses 1 through 14 in Romans chapter 6, he, he talks about what was done to us. What was done to us, we were passive in this. We've, we've been united in Christ. This, this passive statement alludes to our baptism. We were bapti- baptized into Christ. Like This is what Christ has done. But now today, when we're in verses 15 through 23, Paul is, is going to emphasize what we did. So, you know, God worked in us, but, but it doesn't just stop there. You see, we're not, we don't just get saved and we sit on a pew here in church and do absolutely nothing. Like God wants us to be a, be a part. He wants us to grow. I mean, we use that word sanctification. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But what we see in verses 15 through 23 is what we did and that we offer ourselves to God to obey him. This is active and it's called conversion. You know, so what Paul is talking about in 15 through 23 that we're talking about, he's explaining to us our conversion. Okay, now that we've come to Christ, what does that look like for us? How, how, how do we live? How is our life played out? We turn from our sin and turn to God. And, and grace is the thing that enables us to do it, but it's the thing that should drive us to do it. So Paul addresses for us in verse 15 here. He says, what, are, are, or what then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? By no means. You know what he's what he's asking us here is what is God's grace designed to accomplish in us? You know, okay, God has given us grace. I, I mean, we all know that. I think if I were to go around this room and ask that question to each and every one of you, you would say, yes, I know that God has given me grace in my life. Well, now what? And so this is what we see. So, so turn with me in Romans chapter 6. Let's read through this chapter here and let's break this down. So verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. And I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, 
is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, as we open up this word this morning, Lord, as we see these wonderful truths in the book of Romans, Lord, I'd ask that you just help us to have clarity as we walk through this, this great doc- doctrine that, uh, that Paul gives to us. Lord, how we can be free from our sins. Lord, but how we commit our heart and our life to you and everything that we do. And so, Lord, speak to us now as we open your word. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Now, I mentioned there, before we read the text, the question here that Paul addresses in verse 15 is, what is God's grace designed to accomplish in us? You know, what, what does it mean? We use this terminology all the time. What does it mean to, to not be under the law, but rather to be under grace? I mean, I'm, I'm sure probably a lot of you have used that term before, and we throw that out there, but what does that truly mean? Now, before we start digging into this a little bit more with what Paul says, let's address a couple of the, the misconceptions about that. First of all, it doesn't mean that we're not under rules. When you come to Christ and, and He's forgiven you of your sins, it doesn't mean that we can just live however we want. Paul's going to break that down as we walk through this text. But, but rules are, you know, we feel like sometimes that rules are kind of cramping our style. You think about the Pharisees, what did Jesus come? You know, they had a whole bunch of set of rules, and Jesus came, and he kind of, you know, pulled the rug out from under the Pharisees. So, you know, if we're really a believer, you know, God's like forgiven us of our, of our sin, and so he doesn't want us to fall into that legalism, right? So I can just do whatever I want. <laughs> when I was uh, studying for this message, I ran across a pastor who called that type of mentality, he called it Outback Theology. You know, Outback like the restaurant. You know, what's the motto of Outback? right? No, no rules, just right. No rules, just right. And so we live our life like, well, there's, there's no rules, there's just right. Well, now, now if you want to see if this really is a valid argument, go to Outback today for lunch, and I, I really don't recommend this, but just walk in, you know, it's packed of people, and then you just start screaming, and you're like, all right, I'm here, it's time for me to be seated. I want to get seated now. Well, there's 20 people in front of you, but, you know, hey, what, what's good for me? You know, hey, there's no rules, there's just right. And so what I want is to be seated right now. And then you get seated and you start screaming, well, I, I want my blooming onion now. Because a blooming onion is awesome, right? And that little sauce, I mean, I don't know what's in that sauce, but they make something special up in it. But, you know, I want my blooming onion now. I don't care about the other five tables you have to wait on. I want my blooming onion now. Well, then it gets to the end, and, of course, you know, waitress comes and gives you the check, and you look at her and say, Hey, there's no rules, just right. Open up the cash register. You're going to pay me for the privilege of being here at your restaurant today. Now, just go try that and see what the world thinks about this whole idea that there are no rules. You can just do whatever is right. See, but this is the, this is the theology that a lot of people will hold to biblically, that God has just come and, and because of grace, he's abolished rules. And to be honest, our society is really pushing that and teaching it. That there are no absolutes, that there are no right and wrong. And so therefore, whatever I feel like doing is totally fine. The problem with that is that we all turn into these little dictators, these czars of our life where we go around just telling everyone what to do. We're the the gods of our own life. We're the rulers of our own destiny. And it just doesn't work like that. It doesn't mean when we say that we are under grace not the law. It doesn't mean that we have a license to do whatever we want to. If we have that, everything's just going to kind of fall apart. There's just kind of this divine anarchy that just runs wild. That's not what Paul is saying here. 
Well, the second misconception he, he addresses here is it's not that there are no rules. It's, it's that the Old Testament um, had, or you had to obey the rules. And in the New Testament, you don't have to, but you do it because you want to. You know, so, so you think, well, the misconception is that in the Old Testament, I had to do those things in order to earn salvation. That's false theology. Because whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, all people are saved by faith in God. So it's not about what we do. Remember, it's all by the free gift and grace of God. But, but yet we think that, okay, well, now in the New Testament, I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments, but I just do it because I want to. But that's not what Paul is saying either. If God's commands are how we love God, listen at this. If God's commands are how we love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and all of our strength, and how we love our neighbor as ourselves, then they're not optional. Like God has saved us by his grace through faith in Christ based on no merit of ourselves. Paul's already addressed that. We're going to see that again in the coming chapters again as Paul beats that horse He's going to tell us over and over and over again that we don't earn our salvation, but it doesn't mean that we should live however we want. There's still things that we need to do as believers. The point of freedom for the Christian is that it's, it's not that godliness becomes optional and we do it because we feel like it. We do it because we love God. Like he, It's because it's what we're supposed to to do. It's what, what as, as believers, we've been forgiven of our sins. And, and you see, what Paul is addressing to us is, is the problem is not the rules. So we, we look at the Old Testament and we say, well, the problem with the Old Testament was the law. And the law was the problem. It doesn't save. And so we look here as New Testament believers and say, well, God came and grace has gotten rid of the rules. And so we just do whatever we want to. The problem is not the rules. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin. And the problem is, as long as we're breathing on this earth, we're sinners. And as sinners, we're unable to live as autonomous beings where, where we can make decisions for ourselves. See, the reality of Scripture, and really, this is point one as, as we address these, you know, as we're going to talk about what is God's grace designed to accomplish in us. There's four truths here, and Paul addresses this right off the bat. God's grace shows us that obligation is not optional in this world. Obligation is not optional. In fact, you could use the word slavery. You know, I mean, that's really what he's talking about here, slavery. You know, obligation is not optional in this world. The issue is to whom or what are you obligated. Look at verse, um, the, the verse there. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Paul insists that even under grace, there are obligations of obedience that must be taken seriously. And, and church, we've got to start taking that seriously if we're going to be walking in the way that God wants us to. That's, that's our process of sanctification, where, where God is working in us and changing us and giving us the strength that we need. There's no such thing as human autonomy, freedom from all outside powers and influences. We are sinners, and we're either going to be, be slaves to sin or we're going to be slaves to righteousness. There's no other options, no matter how many times we shake it. That's the way it falls down. Either people are under the power of sin or they're under the power of God. The question is not then whether one will have a master, but which master are you serving? So what we want here is freedom, but we don't really understand what it means to be free. You know, and, and, and really, in some ways, I mean, we live in a free country, and praise God for that. 
let's thank the Lord that we live in the country we do, because even with its problems and its trials and struggles, we, it's still the greatest place to be on the planet. But, but oftentimes our culture helps us get a little confused when it comes to understanding what freedom. We live in a, in a day where freedom means that we're free from obligations. We can say, hey, I, I will do whatever I jolly well please to do. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what gender I am. You can't tell me what is right and wrong. You know, we can't stand up and even preach. I mean, that, that day's coming when we can't stand in the pulpit and preach what is right and wrong according to Scripture because there are no such thing as absolutes. Paul is saying that that view of freedom is myth. It, it just doesn't exist. So what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free as a Christian? What does it mean to be out from under the bondage of the law? What does it mean to be under the reign of grace? These are the questions that we ask ourselves as we go through it. And Paul's already told us that in Romans chapter 5. I mean, we walk through it. He said, you're free from the wrath of God. I mean, that's great. We're free from the penalty of sin. That means that we don't have to face death and hell. We're free from that. And we're free from the fear of condemnation. But the problem is, is that the Romans took that freedom and they ran with it. And they said, well, then that means we have to do nothing. Some people have misunderstood these freedoms as a license to sin. They've understood these freedoms which have been granted as an excuse to ignore the pursuits of holiness and godliness. And Paul's saying, you've got it all confused. Sure, you're free. But what you're free to do is to pursue after the will of God for your life. You're no longer chained to sin, no longer in that bondage, but you've been freed to live a life, not for your glory and honor, but for God's glory and honor. And the challenge for us, really, church, is that if you're not living for God, then what's the other option, right? You're living for sin. I mean, you're not free. You're, you think you're free. You live in that idea. <laughs> Do you, don't you know that you're a slave to the one that you obey? And he talks about this. He said, we're, we're um, a slave to the sin that leads to death. You know, you're either following Christ or you're following sin that ultimately leads to death. And, and Paul is reminding you that sin often presents itself to you as free. But it's really not. I mean, think about it this way. Like, um, <laughs> have you ever lied to get out of a problem? You know, you've had something happen. Of course, I'm sure none of you do this, right? You know, you find yourself in, in a problem or a predicament and you lie and, and, and then you get away with it, right? I mean, cheat on your taxes. You know, you're doing something you shouldn't. Probably when you were a kid, you know. You, you lie to get out of a problem. Well, the next thing you know is that what happens? What, what does one lie lead to? Another lie. And then another lie. And then another lie. I mean, as a pastor, I, I can't tell you how many times that, that we've had people in the office that they've told so many lies over the years that they don't know what is true and what is not true. You know, and they think that they're free to do what they want to, to manipulate their circumstances around them, but before long, they turn around and they're trapped by their own lies. It's the lie that leads them to death. It's the sin that leads them to death. And so it, it might, look, might look like you're calling the shots. It might look like that you're in charge of your life, but you're really not. Your sin is. So Paul's point here is that nobody's their ultimate boss, but he says here, secondly, that obedience leads to righteousness. And that's what he's calling us to do. He said, said you know, you're either a slave to sin that leads to death 
or you're a slave to obedience that leads to righteousness. And in fact, he's talking about conversion here. And conversion is an act of the will where we turn our back. We might use the term repentance, where we turn our backs on our sin and we turn towards Christ. It's, it's an active thing on our part as we move forward. It's surrendering our life that leads inevitably. When we surrender our life to Christ, he becomes the Lord of our life. He is in charge of our life, not us. God's grace didn't wash you and free you from your sins so that you can do whatever you want to. God's grace washed your life so that you can live for him. And this is the point that Paul's making. The freedom of the Christian is not freedom to do what he wants, but freedom to obey God willingly, joyfully, and naturally. And this is what Paul is working in our lives to challenge us to do. And so the question is, well, how do I do that, Nathan? I mean, I think we all know that truth, right? I don't think that surprised anyone, but the hard part is, is well, how does that practically play out in our lives? I mean, Paul, Paul addresses it there in verse 17. He said, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. So he says, secondly, there, the second truth about what God's grace does in us is that God's grace brings power for wholehearted obedience. Like God's grace that, that freed us from our sin gives us the power to live for Christ. And it, and it manifests itself right there, we see in verse 17, with a power to be committed to the Word of God. When, when you stepped out from under the authority of Satan and sin, you stepped under the authority of God and His Word. Believer, if you are here today and you are not spending time daily in God's Word, placing yourself in prayer, in humility, under the teaching of God's Word, then you're a slave to sin. You think you're free, but sin has gripped you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people and they they look at me and they say, I know what God's Word says and what I should be doing, but I don't care. I want to live my life this way. And I promise you, it never turns out well. I mean, we have example after example of people who say those words. But Paul here, he sees conversion not only as trusting in Christ, but as believing and acknowledging the truth, placing himself under the authority of God's word as he reads God's word. And you look at God's word and it says, Nathan, that that sin in your life needs to go. Nathan, you need to submit yourself to my direction. Nathan, you need to give. You need to serve. Nathan, there's so many other better plans that I have for your life than what you're living. You need to follow and obey my word. And this is what Paul is telling us to do. We've got to place ourselves under the, the authority of Christian teaching. But not just that. You say, okay, well, I hear the word of God, but how do I get rid of the sin in my life? You see, when we place ourselves under the authority of God's word, when we place ourselves humbly at the feet of Jesus, what happens is that we see in verse 18 that we have power to have freedom from sin. Remember, Christ came and he put to death sin in our lives. Like, how do you stop sinning? You don't have the power to stop sinning in your own life. But God's spirit working through you has the power to free you from your sin. People don't submit to sin against their will. Rather, we freely and spontaneously choose to sin over and over and over again. It doesn't mean that, that if we have addictions in our life that we don't want to stop sinning. 
mean, we've all been there, and we've had things in our lives that, that grip us and attack us. You know, whether that's substance abuse, whether that's food. Ugh, that one hurts a little bit, right? Whether that's pornography, whether that's sex, whatever it is that you want to put in, in that blank, there's addictions and things that we have. It doesn't mean that as believers that we don't sit here and, and, and beg God, we're like, we want to be free from this. But Paul is saying if you want to be free, you have to submit yourself under the authority of God's word. Listen to what he says. Submit yourself under the teaching of God's word, and Christ is the one that can free you from sin. But ultimately, thirdly there, he talks about that it gives us the power to be slaves to righteousness. See, because it's not what we take out of a man that changes them, but it's what we put into them that does. See, if you just remove the sin from your life and you just stop doing something, then you're going to fall right back into that sin. See, we have to take through the, through the power of the gospel, through the power of God working in us, we have to get rid of that sin in our life, but we have to replace it with something else. And that's the word of God in our lives. And so that's where we get the power to be slaves to righteousness. We've been decisively rescued out of the lordship of sin, into the lordship of God, out of the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of Christ. So Paul's concept of freedom is not that of autonomous self-direction, but of deliverance from those enslaving powers that would prevent the human being from becoming what God intended him to be. If you want to become the man or the woman that God desires for you to be, you can only do it by submitting yourselves under the lordship of Christ. And if he's not the Lord of your life, then, I mean, I'm just going to toss this out there biblically. It's hard to stand biblically and say that, that salvation really has, has washed through you. Well, Paul continues this argument, and he says that the third truth here about God's grace, he says in verse 19, he said, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He says thirdly there that God's grace drives us to present ourselves to holiness rather than sin. And you see how this is compounding? Like, I mean, once again, that, you know, we're participating in this, but this is God working through us, and so Paul's going to address this, you know, here. He, he acknowledges, I mean, he's using this illustration of slavery. And whenever we use contemporary illustrations, you know, it always carries with it some baggage. And, and Paul's like, you know, I, let me admit, you know, that, that Romans, you know, I, I know that this illustration is, is like weak. I, I know that it's going to cause some confusion in your mind. I know that, that you're not going to probably fully understand it, but I'm trying to really illustrate to you a point, and this is... The best illustration, but not fully. The illusion he's talking about here is that true freedom is doing whatever you want to do. You know, God's grace is really driving us to present ourselves to holiness rather than to sin. And the illusion that we, we struggle with is that we're freest when we're doing what we want to do apart from God's will, apart from God's word, and apart from God's law. See, we, we think that we can just do what we want to do, but, but Paul says, no, no, that, that, that's not how it works. Freedom by this definition is doing our own thing, fulfilling our own desires. And Paul said, no, no. If that's what you're doing, then you're not truly free at all. In fact, what he brings up there is he says, you're in, you're in bondage. And, and he says this there, that presenting ourselves to sin really technically leads to more sin. You know, if you're not presenting yourselves to God, you're, 
presenting yourself to sin, and it leads to more sin. We think of ourselves free as long as we're allowed to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, however we want to do it, but instead we're slaves to our desires. We're slaves to our sexual immorality. We're slaves to our greed. We're slaves to our own personal ambition. In fact, Paul already addressed this last week. That Aaron addressed it there in verse 12 when he says that, Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He uses that word passions, and, and that's the Greek word epithumia. Thumia means just, uh, just desire or strong desire, but, but when you add that, that little, um, I guess, prefix, I guess is what it would be, epi, on the front of that, it, it means a, a uncontrollable desire, a desire that becomes so large it controls you. And so Paul is saying here that we have these desires that are so uncontrollable that we just can't stop. <laughs> we say, I want money, and if I can't have it, then, then I'll be bitter and I'll feel like I have a second-class life. Or maybe even that life that is not worth living. And so I'll just worry all the time, and, and I'm not getting money. I'll be jealous of those who have it. I'll overwork Maybe even cheat to get it. You know, is money ruling you? You know, how about this? It's a good desire. I want a family, and if I can't have that, well, life doesn't even feel like it's worth living. So I'll feel sorry for myself, and I'll ask, what did I do that would make God hate me like this? I'll obsess about finding a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and be willing to compromise all kinds of standards just to have someone with me. I mean, it, you see how it plays out in our lives. So you say, well, well Nathan, how do I gauge if, you know, what, what my epi passions are? Those uncontrollable passions. Well, Tim Keller gives us like three really good emotions that, that helps us. He talks about anger, fear, and sadness. You know, what angers you? When, when something blocks you getting a good thing, you get upset and angry. You know, that's That's normal. But if something blocks you from getting an ultimate thing, you get epi-angry. You snap. But fear. If something good in your life is threatened, you get worried. You know, if I find out my kids are in danger, sure, that's a natural fear that comes out. But if something ultimate in your life is threatened, you are paralyzed. Your fear has become epi-fear. You are so anxious that you cannot think right. You develop worry or anxiety problems, panic attacks over that thing if you don't have it then your fear grips and controls your life. You're not, you're not free in Christ. You're, you're a slave to that thing, whatever it is. How about sadness? If you least lose something good in your life, you grieve and you weep. The loss of a loved one. Sure, that's something to grieve over, but if you lose something ultimate, your despair, you fall apart, you feel like life is not worth living, you want to throw yourself off of a bridge it pushes us to, to feel those depths of emotions. These three emotions point to where God has been displaced as the master of your heart. What triggers those three emotions for you most? Where have you gotten the angriest? What causes you the most worry? What has caused you the most sadness? You know, when we ask these questions of our lives in church, it, I'm just asking you to be honest with yourself. Like take a look at your life, maybe different than you ever have. Ask yourself those questions. What, what brings anger, fear, and sadness in my life? I promise you, if you seek the face of God, He's going to point out something in your life that that, that thing is, not, is the God of your life, not. 
Jesus. That thing has become the master of your soul, not Jesus. Every master besides God leads to death. If you're enslaved by approval, your life will be plagued by constant self-pity, envy, hurt, feelings. People are always on eggshells around you. You feel inadequate. If you're enslaved by comfort or you won't be able to say no to the pleasures of food, of sex, of pornography, you're addicted. You're unwilling to ever sacrifice for others for the mission. Sharing doesn't come naturally because of those inconveniences that that keep you from those comforts. You'll always spend the majority of your money on nice things for you. When you're up here and we're saying, hey, there's an opportunity for you to give so that someone across the world can hear the gospel. Instead, you're sitting on your wallet because you know that if you sacrifice personally, then you're going to have to give up something. i got to give up a Starbucks coffee. I, I can't do that. The God of comfort rules your life. If you're enslaved to power, you become domineering, vengeful, harsh, even abusive. You'll talk about yourself all the time. If you're enslaved to control, you worry all the time, obsessively. You lose your temper a lot, and people around you will feel manipulated. You know, these things are the master's of, of our life. They require us to work to feed them. If, if you're here today and any of those things are, are poking and pricking at your heart, you, you're not free in Christ. You're instead a slave to that sin. Paul tells us here, he says that we need to present ourselves to righteousness that leads to sanctification. And how do, we, how do we free ourselves from these things? We present ourselves. And this is a willing presenting of ourselves. This isn't God reluctantly dragging us on, but this is us humbly coming before God and saying, God, these things have become the master of my life, and I need you to be the master of my life, and I'm presenting myself to you, and God, I don't know how it, these things are going to get out of my life. I don't, I don't know what the next few weeks of my life, the next few days, the next few years of my life looks like, but God, I know that if I'm going to be free from these sins that are mastering my soul, then I need you. I need you to work in my life. And so I present myself to righteousness that leads to sanctification. Christ has made you free, free to be, be, uh, uh, to be free from sin, free to have a sense of worth, free to be secure in your own personhood, knowing who you are before God because your identity is not in you. Your identity is not in what's around you. Your identity and your worth and your value as a human being is because of Christ. I mean, that should be something that we amen about, right? Because let's be honest. I mean, when I look in the mirror, there, there's not a lot of good that I see in Nathan Miller. The same could be said for you. But, but if we truly see ourselves the way that God does, when we look at ourselves, we don't see ourselves. We see Christ in us. See, when people see you, do they, do they see God working through you? When they see you, do they see Nathan Miller or do they see Jesus in me? And this is what Paul's telling us to do. If you want to be free, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, give yourself as a slave to righteousness. The Christian is a slave to righteousness, and his slavery results in holiness, which is true freedom and blessedness. You see, because we're either going to submit ourselves to to a slave that wants to destroy us, or we're going to submit ourselves as a slave to righteousness, to a God who loves us. In fact, what did he do? He destroyed himself to give us life. That's the difference. I mean, that's the difference between Satan and Jesus is is Satan wants to destroy you and crush you, but 
But Jesus gave of his life and crushed himself so that you could have life. There's so much more that we could say, but we're running out of time here. Fourthly, we see God's grace gives us fruits of life rather than fruits of death. Verse 24, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So Paul says that slavery to sin yields fruits of shame and death. You know, he characterizes the life apart from Christ not as unchecked freedom, but, but as slavery of, of the worst sort. You know, we don't want to live like God wants us to live oftentimes because it requires us to, I mean, what are people going to think about us? That's weird. You know, you're weird. Oh, there comes that Jesus freak again. What's he going to say this time? We're going to be criticized, abused, harassed. But yet Paul characterizes life apart from Christ not as unchecked freedom, but as slavery of the worst sort. It's a, it's a kind of it's a kind of freedom, but it's a false freedom. It's a false freedom that leads to death. You see, we can pursue sin, and, and we can pursue sin freely as much as we want to, but it's going to take more of us than we want to give, and it's going to consume us, and it's going to destroy us. Sure, you can pursue that relationship that, you know, however you want to, but your marriage might fall apart. Your reputation could be gone. You could lose your job. Sure, you're free to pursue that, but it consumes you and destroys you. Jesus says in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. You see, it's not just Paul that's saying this. It's Jesus that knows. And if you commit a sin, you're, you're a slave to that sin. So the challenge is, we need to stop sinning. We need to pursue Christ. And we see these people struggling with the temporal desires, temporal urges, slaves of earthly riches, earthly blessings. And we see people sell themselves out. I mean, think about it this way. You know, you're free to engage in whatever relationship that you want to, but yet someone engages in a relationship and gets an STD. What happens? It's a terminal one, and you slowly, somebody that had so much life and so much vibrance, you know, that choice that they made, they slowly see the life sucked out of them. You know, they think that they're free to choose what they want to, but yet as the day goes on, we see it suck the life out of them. We see people like this all around us. We may be thinking, you know, of those kind of people. That person contracts this terminally sexually transmitted disease, and we watch that person that we know with great talent, with great energy, with great spirit die before our eyes. We can see that easily, how that, that sin and that misery sucks the life out of them. But there are all sorts of people around us. There are some of you in this room. You, know, you look wonderful. You look tanned. They're skinny. They're overweight. They're all different shapes and sizes. They look happy. But yet on the inside, they're dying because they're pursuing the wrong thing. They're consumed by those things that they're seeking, and ultimately the things that they're seeking will destroy them, will destroy their families, and in the end leads to death. And so Paul is saying, you know, guys, we, we've got to do different. 
guys, there's, there's a better way. Like, slavery to sin yields fruits of shame and death, and if you walk down that path, it's not going to end well. We think we're free because we've chosen what we want to do. We've pursued our own course. We've done it our way, but we're slaves. We're in bondage, and we're bondage to something that will kill us. And so Paul tells us that we need to turn ourselves over and be a slave to righteousness. Righteousness that yields fruits of sanctification in life. And so, so you say, well, Nathan, I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to go down that path. Well, then submit yourself to God. Slavery to righteousness yields fruits of sanctification in life. Paul implies that righteousness that he describes here has to do with our actions Rather than our status, you know, typically when we talk about, about righteousness, we talk about us being righteous before God. But, but Paul here is shifting gears, and he's talking about our actions. Because our actions say a lot about what's going on within our hearts. And so Paul is challenging us. So Paul just closes out this section just with a challenge. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. And so, church, if you want to submit your heart in your life to God, become slaves of God, the fruit that you get pursuing a life after Him is going to lead to life. But yet, this last verse is hard for us to swallow. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, if we, if we walk out of here today and we just determine, you know what, we, we want to get what we want. You know, I, I want to get the just wages for my life. You know, I want to be the God of my own life. I want to, to be the master of my own soul. I want to make my own choices. I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. What Paul says is that we're going to get what we want. Wages. You know, you work, you get paid a wage. So the wages of your sin, if you, if you follow that direction and follow that life, it, it's going to lead to death. See, but the encouraging part about how that chapter ends is that, that, that you don't have to end up like that. Instead, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we determine to get what we deserve, it can only be death, but by contrast, eternal life, the gift of God is holy and freely undeserved, and it's being given to us. But what are you going to choose today? What is your choice today? As Kevin comes this morning, I know that this is a lot, and you know, when we start talking about you know, sin, and especially when we start picking the scab of specific sins, you know, sometimes stirs our heart. But, but Paul is challenging us. May, may God help us today. Set aside the sin in our lives. Live as free men and women in Christ. Galatians 5, 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of bondage. Paul is challenging the church at Galatians. Stop throwing yourself into the bondage of sin. There, there's some of you in this room today that are still in the bondage of sin because you've never, you've never, never, ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You never came and repented of your sins. You've never asked Him to be the Lord of your life, and, and today it starts there. You know, you've been trying to do it your own way. You've been trying to earn your own salvation. I know we've talked a lot about that over the last few, few weeks, but if, if it's Jesus plus anything, like Jesus, I've got to come to church, or Jesus, I've got to do these things, 
to earn your favor, then, then that's not salvation. I mean, Paul talks about it. It's the free gift of God that's eternal life. You know, Jesus came and shed his blood on the cross to give you forgiveness of sins. But yet Jesus didn't just come to save you, to give you fire insurance. That's what Paul's talking about. He's like, he didn't come to just give you fire insurance. He came to change your life. To give you a better life. I mean, remember Paul said with the same gusto in which you once pursued your former life. The same, same gusto in which you pursued the sins in your life. You now ought to turn and you ought to pursue God with that same passion. But yet... So many times, a lot of us live our life like a donkey, that you're trying to drag that, that donkey or that mule along to move forward in our walk. What we should be is thoroughbreds. We're, we're just ready to run. We're, we're waiting for that gate to open so that we can run and we can pursue God with our whole heart, with our whole life, with all the passion that's burning inside of us. But yet, so many of us don't live like that. We, we instead... We want to keep one foot in the world and one foot at the foot of the cross. But, but Paul is calling the church at Rome, and he's calling for us today to be different, to change. So church, if you're a believer here today and you're stuck in bondage of sin, and let's be honest, probably for really honest, all of us are stuck in something. I mean, this isn't a time for us to like look around, point fingers, you know, swing our elbows, into our spouses, it's time for us to look at ourselves. And it's time for us to get right. Because I don't know about you, I'm, I, I'm tired of living that way. I mean, I want freedom. I want joy. I want happiness. I want blessedness. And if you want freedom to live your life and to view it like that, it, it's, it's not found in yourselves. It, it's, it's found in God's Word. It's found in your identity that you have in Christ it's found in the freedom that we can have at the cross. And so, you know, I, I know normally, you know, everybody's posture and mode during this time is to, is to sit and quietly pray. But church, today, my challenge for you today is maybe it's time for us to come and, and to lay these burdens at the foot of the cross. I think sometimes there's, <laughs> there's this connection between when our brain and our feet connect and when we move like it. It helps us push ourselves out. It, it, it makes us draw a line in the sand. It makes us say, I want to take seriously the sin that's in my life. Because um, I believe it was John Owen that said, you either need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. In fact, it was John Owen in a great book, The Mortification of Sin. <laughs> that's what we need to be doing. We need to be killing that sin in our life or it'll be killing us. And so during this time of invitation, I... If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do it today. I think it was last week we had, what, three or four, Kevin, were saved in second service? Maybe it's you today. But for those of you that are believers, put to death that sin in your life. Stop trying to live one foot in the world and one foot in Christ and commit yourself fully and submit yourself to him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us today. Lord, these texts that we run across, Lord, Romans is just steeped in texts like this, Lord, that just challenge us on a new level spiritually. Lord, but the challenge is that I think so much of us 
find ourselves in bondage. Lord, we've, we've duped ourselves into thinking that it's okay the way that we're living our life. And Paul is trying to say, no, it's not. Paul's trying to tell us that there's a better way. Paul's trying to tell us that there's hope found at the cross. So, Lord, I know in a room of this size, Lord, there are people with all different struggles and trials. Lord, there are those that are here today that are lost. Lord, that have been gripping the back of that seat for week after week after week that need to commit their heart and their life. For you that need to find true freedom in you and find that freedom in salvation. And so, Lord, those people today, Lord, make them miserable. Drive them to see their need for you, Lord. Stir their hearts. Send the Holy Spirit to work in their heart and their life. But Lord, probably for the majority of us in the room, we've made that decision at some point in our life. We've committed our heart and life to you. But Lord, the reality is that most of the time we live in the bondage of sin rather than the bondage of you. Lord, most often we make ourselves the God of our lives to make the choices that we want to and we find ourselves weeks, months, years down the road in a tough place because of our choices. Lord, Paul told us today how to have freedom. And so, Lord, for those that are in this room, Lord, those things that have become the masters of their life, Lord, may they not leave here today without laying them at the foot of the cross. Lord, may they find freedom in you. Just as Kevin plays quietly, these altars are open. I'm here. I know we'll have some Stephen ministers that are up here as well. We've got deacons in this room. Whatever it is that God is working on your heart, whatever sin it is that is becoming the master of your soul, don't leave here today because, church, this is serious. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Find freedom today.